0: This podcast is brought to you by BrunerAcademy.com, your online resource for the best public speaking presentation storytelling skills courses. Become a rock star communicator in any setting. Visit BrunerAcademy.com. Who would think that a shampoo commercial and a mouse running up your leg would eventually lead to building a multi-million dollar pest control business? But that's exactly what happened to my guest. Hello, everyone. Welcome to my podcast, Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. My guest today is the CEO and founder of Earthkind. And when you hear about all the twists and turns her life has taken, all the chapters she has literally survived, I believe you will be inspired to say, if she can do it, so can I. Carrie Warburg-Block, welcome to my podcast.
1: I'm so happy to be here with you today.
0: And I'm delighted to have you here today. Carrie is also the author of the book, Gathering Around the Table. I read it this past weekend, Carrie, and I couldn't put it down. Did you ever think that you would write a book about your life?
1: I really didn't think I would ever do it. For years, people were saying you should write a book because I had all these crazy, weird things happen. I'm like, how, how did I end up in this life? How <laughs> is all this happening to me? And a lot of those lessons learned. I would share with students that if, when I'd go in and speak to their classes, and I found myself telling the same story over, and I thought, you know, I should just write a book and give that as a leave behind, and I'm so happy that I did.
0: Yes, and so am I, having read it, and I'm encouraging everyone to read it as well. Carrie invented a product to keep homes pest and poison-free, and it changed the environmental landscape forever. Carrie, I want to go back in time. You call yourself in your book an earth child, even a wild child at that. <laughs> Explain what you mean by that.
1: So yeah, I didn't. I didn't um, necessarily fit in with most of the other kids. I'd, I'd find myself wandering around in nature and um, watching dandelions fly through the air and watching the bugs. And I really had a love affair, I think, with nature. When I was about five years old, my, my father took me to a dump, the nation's largest landfill, in Staten Island, New Jersey. I asked him where away was, and he said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Away, you know, when you throw something away, where does it go?" And I, I saw it, and it just set something in motion the rest of my life. And I I saw, I just felt like the the pain of the earth. I saw mm-hmm. all this trash, and I thought, "This just makes no sense." I saw people living out there living in the dump grounds, oh gosh, right? Not yeah. going to school. And I was just like, wow, this is what's wrong with the world. And then we went back to our middle income, you know, where we lived in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And I was like, wow, this just isn't, this can't be real. And so the rest of my life, I think, is, <laughs> is navigating that, you know, <laughs> it just brought me to where I am today.
0: Indeed. And one of the funny stories you talk about You refused to eat off of plastic at home. You had to have stoneware dishes. You were not going to have plastic. I just think that's so funny because you really were a conscious consumer even at that young age. And it also started with a television commercial for shampoo that you desperately wanted to try. What happened?
1: So I saw this commercial on TV. This is way back when, when you know, households would maybe have one TV, right? Mm -hmm, (laughs) And you'd maybe mm -hmm. turn it on once a day in the evening for something. And there was a little girl in a shower and sudsing her hair up. And she made the most beautiful crown on her head of the suds. And I was just, I was mesmerized. I was glued. And I was like, I want to be that girl. She's so pretty. (laughs) And she had this smile and she's getting herself all suds up. And finally, my parents bought me the shampoo and I went in to recreate. I guess I was Getting the first brand experience, if you will, (laughs) it wasn't like the commercial. It burned my scalp, it burned my eyes.
0: (laughs) Nothing like that product
1: picture, right? (laughs) You know, it was just more stuff to feed my little beastie soul of, this is just (laughs) not
0: right. There are a couple of profound things that happened in your early childhood. Your mother, when you were only 11 years old, died. She was only 33. And you write in your book that your father really was never the same after that. Those two things had a profound impact on your life.
1: Yeah, they sure did. And that's, that's an age. It's so, so important, the connection between a mother and a daughter. Yes. And fortunately I had my grandma who stepped in and in fact I dedicated my book to her. Lady grandma, she showed up and she really helped and started cultivating the things that I love doing. And Yeah, she was was just really amazing. It was pretty difficult because I essentially lost both my parents at that time because my dad was young. They were still, you know, almost kids. He couldn't deal with it. He didn't know how to deal with it.
0: Yeah. Mm. A lot of that contributed to you also thinking you weren't good at anything. You hated school. You were even put in special ed classes, which was the wrong place for you, but (laughs) be that as it may. All of this happened, but you were still pretty much an entrepreneur at heart, and as we progressed through your life, you had a balloon delivery business, you sold shoes for a time, even makeup, you became a master certified gardener, you sold your produce at farm stands, you even created a potpourri line, and yet, every time you tried to make money, something came along and knocked you down again and again. What kept you going each and every time, Carrie?
1: I learned to see things a little bit differently. For one, I knew, okay, there's a choice when you're when you're laying there right? You can either learn from it, dust yourself off and move forward, or you can lay there and, and beat yourself up and say, "Why me and pile on. It really becomes a, a choice at that point and those lessons are so valuable mm-hmm. for where I am today because there's, there's this resistance you come up with in life, right? And especially as a business grows and you get older in life, <laughs> right? You run into more things and... You really can't fight against them happening. You know, I've just learned really to see them as a gift and to see them for what they are, and to you know help myself learn from it. Mm-hmm. And you really did read my books. So.
0: I told you <laughs> I did. I couldn't put it oh down.
1: My <laughs> gosh, you know so much. But you know, this brings me to one of the stories when when I was on the farm and I started this pottery business, and it was like really cool. I'm Like, finally things are going to work for me. You know, I have this. I have this land. I can grow these flowers. I wanted to make a beautiful potpourri that was made with flowers instead of wood chips that were scented with artificial fragrances, which pretty much gave me a headache. So I created this great little niche, but I would not have gotten into that had I not joined this co-op to grow dried flowers. And this guy was basically a a shyster, got us all Mm -hmm. to give our money, and then we grow all this stuff. I had all of these flowers, and they were in sleeves, ready to sell, and basically no place to sell them. Found out he ripped us off. I would have never started that potpourri business had I not had to get creative and see that what gift that could be. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, well, hey, maybe I can turn these into a potpourri and it's going to look a little different. Mm -hmm. Same flowers. (laughs) I went out and got pine cones and then I ended up buying flowers from all the other growers who sat there and cried about it. And they had meetings and they'd complain about it. And I was like, you know, I don't, I don't have the time for this. <laughs> and I just got busy and tried to figure out something more constructive. And, and it's kind of cool because, you know, they ended up getting some revenue because I got enterprising with, with the whole thing.
0: Yeah. There are a lot of very difficult chapters in your life. Your first husband, it ended, you had a custody battle three different times. It was very, very tough you lived in poverty, you were on food stamps for a time, and yet you were still so determined to piece your life back together again. And you had a goal of getting a college degree by the time you were 40 years old. And there comes a point where you finally feel like you have hope for the future. And you talked about living on the farm. That's when you married a farmer. And you really felt that you were at home living on the farm, except for the mice. (laughs) Living on the farm means you're going to encounter mice. They're everywhere. Tell us about
1: that. Who would have thought, right? Before I moved out on that farm, I worked at a cosmetic counter. I put makeup on women and I sold perfume. I worked in this pretty space. I get out to this farm and the first uh, date I had with the farmer that I ended up marrying out there, he had me pull start a, help, help him pull start a truck and a mouse ran up my leg, <laughs> kept running. It was pretty freaky. I was like, oh my gosh. Well, instinctively, I just pulled out of my purse a bottle of perfume that I had won from my job, and I started spraying it around like it was Raid or something, <laughs> and the and the mice ran off. <laughs> and so he comes running up, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" And, and you know, by this time, I had mouse hurts all over my head. It, you oh. know, I was like so much for this looking nice for this real date and everything, but. <laughs> <laughs> I said, what is that with all these mice? He goes, well, there's nothing you can do. It's just a fact of life on a farm. This is what you run into. Yeah. Ah. When we got married, I used up all my bottles of perfume. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. And the mice just would not stop. And well, I'm thinking, this is like a problem that needs a better solution because there was poison. And I didn't want to risk my kids or my pets. I didn't want to harm the wildlife. I was like, oh, my gosh, maybe, you know, maybe I can do something about this. And I ended up inventing something that would keep the mice out of our tractors and our trucks. And and your drawers, your clothing drawers. <laughs> oh, the clothing drawers. They, yeah, there's like no place sacred for those blasted little things, so... That's where the business really took off, and I was able to harvest the seeds of a lot of those, those things that had happened to me throughout life as I started this business, because yeah. being handicapped, being classified, right, all those years, I saw a lot of very unique things in the rooms, right, with the people that are so-called disabled, mm-hmm. and today we have 20% of our workforce uh, that does assembly, we call them handicapable. But it's amazing because the capabilities they bring are just out of this world good. And I, I would not not have seen that and seen the value of it had I not went through that, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, learning everything I did about scent in the potpourri business really helped me and in the perfume business really helped me where I am today because our, our science and our technology is all based on biocollaboration with nature. And so it's all through the senses and sensory organs of different insects. And they're all different, right? Yeah. yeah. So you come
0: up with this idea on all this information that maybe if you added oil to pine cones, that that might be the solution to the mice. How did you come up with that?
1: So there was quite a few little side journeys around that. A lot of trips around a farm field sitting there harvesting, looking going, well, what if I tried this? And what if I tried that? So I really looked at nature and thought, is there anything in nature that repels a rodent? At the same time, I was testing with different things. So I tested wild rose oil, seemed to really work, but it gave me a headache. I'm like, okay, okay, I can't use (laughs) that. can't do that. (laughs) And then I knew one of the best-selling air fresheners out there were these little trees. And I didn't use them because they gave me a headache. But I thought, hmm, trees might have something to do with this. So I noticed when I was taking walks that sometimes there'd be, um, like the bark would be missing from a tree. Well, if the bark goes missing, the tree ends up dying. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. What's eating the bark? Well, it turns out rodents eat bark. So I started testing with the tree oils and that one specific tree, balsam fir tree, really repelled the rodents. So I did my research on it. I found some government trials. Went to town with that. Got a patent on it. And today, yeah, we've sold over fifty million of those little, little pouches <laughs> made from oil from a balsam fir tree. And it's cool. We we did it. We're doing a campaign this year called Year of the Monarch, where we're giving back to the fir trees because the fir trees protect the monarchs. So the monarchs live in fir trees rodents eat them that's interesting right so they make this pesticide that keeps the rodents from eating the butterflies we still don't know why the the symbiosis between the (laughs) butterfly and the and the tree but you're
0: gonna figure it out i have a feeling (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) it's just cool so nature gives us a lot of these answers i believe it just takes some observation to look at it and then of course the testing yeah with scientists and in labs
0: I want to go back to when you were a certified organic vegetable farmer and you were selling your vegetables at the farmer's market. And one day, an accident happened that literally put you in the hospital. You flatlined in the operating room and doctors said you were dead.
1: I had my produce market set up at Stanley, North Dakota. The 72-year-old lady on a touring bike came in. She didn't want to park in the parking lot and walk over, so she took a shortcut, went through the neighbor's yard, and then got a little too close and got flustered, hit the gas instead of the brake. Long story short, I got in between two produce tables, kind of like a scissor effect, and it broke my femur. I ended up on my back, <laughs> bedded tomatoes. The EMTs pretty much thought I was split wide open. Ended up going into the emergency room, and here's the crazy thing. That day, the doctor looked at me, and he said, you're not going to believe this. I have three femur breaks. We all came in at the same time. (laughs) He goes, give me your story. (laughs) I said, said, well, you're not going to believe this. I'm selling organic produce, and a 72-year-old lady on a motorcycle runs me over. He goes, I got a bull injury in here from a rodeo, and I have a motorcycle. I'm taking you. He goes, sign here. I'm probably going to have to take your leg to preserve your life. I said, no problem. I signed it, went under. And then when I woke up, I was laying there. And I I was pretty sure at this point I'd lost my leg. And he was going to tell me that. And they had me all propped up. And I couldn't see anything really past my waist, right? Mm-hmm. And, and he looked at me really close and he said, you, you are so lucky to be alive. I don't want to hear any bitching or complaining out of you. You hear me? And I said, yes. <laughs> so I was like, okay. He took my leg and you know, it's going to be a lot of recovery. And lo and behold, I find out later that I died on the table, that my femoral artery broke, that I needed all this blood and they almost didn't make it. The doctor was an atheist and he told me it changed his life because he seen this great big angel over the bed, like over the top of the ceiling, presiding over this whole thing. He ended up leaving medicine over this and I don't know, I woke up, I didn't have any of those weird experiences that people have when they pass over, but all I know is I was laying there and I'm like, I must be alive for a reason. I got another chance.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I started thinking really differently at that time. What was I here for? What could I really do? And they say, you know, a lot of times when people die, you come back and you, it makes you think a lot differently about things and what you want to get out of life and how short life really is.
0: What I think is so interesting, too, when you were flat on your back in your recovery, this mantra kept coming back to you. And the words were, lift your spirit to a higher place. Open your heart to a kinder earth, and destiny will follow. Did you know what that meant at the time?
1: I really didn't. It it kept coming to me, and it it was really strange. I'm like, that's weird. Where is this coming from? What is that? And it just repeated over and over and over again. And over the next year and a half as I'm in my recovery, as pieces of it really started to, to come to me, separating it apart lifting your spirit to a higher place, I really knew, okay, that is what I'm here in life to do. That's what we're all here in life to do. And then there's opening your heart to a kinder of earth. To me, that was, okay, I can do that in my work. That's something I know how to do and open the hearts of other people. And, and it, it's really all about leadership, right? And mm-hmm. what I wanted to do, and it was it enabled me to address all the pain of the earth that I felt all these toxins are going in, all of these species are dying. I'm like, why doesn't anybody care? So it was, a, it, it was really a good vessel for me to go out in life like that. And then the last part, you know, and Destiny Will Knock, that's kind of how it happens. Before, before all of this, I thought, okay, I make my plan, and this is where I go. But life really doesn't necessarily happen like that. So the more I continue to lift my spirit and open my heart and help other people open their hearts, more and more of my destiny becomes visible. Mm
0: -hmm. And that became Earthkind and your Fresh Cab mouse repellent. And you knew your product worked. The farmers who bought it loved it. But the EPA comes and shuts you down and says, you can't sell this. And you didn't have a patent, which you eventually got, which was an excruciatingly challenging process because there'd been no disruption in the category until Earthkind came on the scene. And so you get this patent, finally. It's the country's first botanical-based no-kill system of pest control. And as you said, it's now a national brand, which is phenomenal. But you made a very important decision not to be in Walmart, and it was all based on your values and philosophy. Explain what you mean.
1: One of the customers fairly early on that I was able to go meet with and win was Walmart. I was so excited, I come back to the team. Hey, you guys, we got Walmart, right? That's supposed to mean success and market and you can hire and do things. Long story short, I get my first PO. It was like twenty-three or twenty-five percent less than the price that I had quoted. And so I said, Well there must be a mistake and the lady said we don't negotiate well, can we talk about this on the phone? We just, we, we get all this way. We've had these meetings. Nope, we don't negotiate it. Take it or leave it. And I was like, well, what are you talking about? Well, make it work. Go to Mexico, whatever. And I was like, geez, this is really crappy. Fortunately, today, business isn't done as much that way, but it used to be just at all costs. You get the cheapest price out there. Yeah. And for me, growing and running a business and doing what I do, there really wasn't an option for us Mm -hmm. to make it about the dollars, because for me, it was also about, you know, the people and the profit as well.
0: What I think is so interesting is that along the way, people thought of you as just a farm wife and you're like, no, that doesn't sit well with you, (laughs) understandably so. And that women are often disregarded as business leaders and you've made it part of your mission to help other women entrepreneurs. What's also interesting, Carrie, is that it took almost losing your leg and your life for you to realize that you were put on this planet to serve and to lead. And one of the quotes from your book is this. Sometimes it is the universe screaming at you, making you uncomfortable so you do something about your situation. And that voice you're hearing, be it a quiet whisper or a booming echo, it's called purpose. You should listen to it. Carrie, you listened and you made the conscious decision to take all this pain and transform it into kindness. How has that life philosophy helped you live your best life?
1: Oh, you asked the good questions here. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's one step at a time. I say, you know, every day it's it's one person at a time, one heart at a time, one product at a time, one book at a time really one breath at a time and ultimately consciousness to me is that it's finding that way to be really present Mm -hmm. with the here and the now that's when you can listen to that higher part of you Mm -hmm. and keep yourself on track and on purpose because I know for me and I think it's the same for a lot of people I mean you can get sidetracked in a matter of hours I need to keep remembering it's just one breath at a time, <laughs> one <laughs> moment, one decision. And it's funny, though, because the, the older I get and the more experience I get, it's amazing the way you show up, the way that life reciprocates mm-hmm. and kind of plays with you and works with you. The more authentic and, and the more fully and holy that you show up, you know, the less agenda, I guess you could say.
0: Mm, I love that. If you'd like to learn more about Carrie's company, just go to earthkind.com and we will have a link for you in our show notes, as well as a link to her book, Gathering Around the Table, A Story of Purpose-Driven Change Through Business. Carrie, thank you so much for sharing your story with all of us today and sharing too that we can live a life that is purpose-driven and be successful at the same time.
1: Thank you so much for having me holding my hand on this wild roller coaster ride. <laughs> Happy to do so.
0: And thanks to all of you for tuning in today. May we all listen to that still small voice and discover our purpose. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories, giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud. Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fastwitchmedia.space.